Hello everyone and welcome to the Urban Homestead in UK podcast, episode 2. Uh, we had a few listens on the first episode, so we're really grateful for that and uh, obviously encouraged, therefore, to come back and have another go. So uh, welcome back to everybody and welcome back, Mike. Hello, how's Hello. it going? Well, I'm good, mate, thanks, and you? Yeah, very well, thank you, mate. Been enjoying this time away. Good. Uh, so just thought we'd have a little chat to start off with, first sort of section, if you like, about what you've been up to. You know, last been about a month since we recorded, I think. What have you been doing? Uh, well, it's been busy. I mean... Obviously, like everyone else, the weather really governs what you can do, doesn't it? So yeah. um, we've had over here in the UK, we've had um, we've had a lot of. It's been really hot, hasn't it? Mm. And then very dry. I think the driest May, uh, yeah, the driest May on record or something like that. Uh, but then since June's flicked in, it's gone. You know, probably about ten degrees colder. There's been some rain, not loads, but there has been some. But it's been very patchy. But it has been quite a strange way round because normally it'd be the other way round. Um, so that has limited, but. Uh, I've been obviously rearing the Sussex Bantams that I hatched out and I've got four um, which came out of the six and they're doing really well but we're still unsure as to whether we've got cocks or hens. I, I'm pretty sure that there's two and two which would be alright for where I'm at at the moment. Mm. Um, so I've been doing that but mainly it's been about just making sure that uh, the veg garden is up to scratch um, and that we have the, have got the successional kind of things coming about so as those things that we've that I grew over winter have gone. It's been about having things ready to go in. I don't like. I don't do an awful lot of direct sowing. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. It's much better for me to have things ready just to go straight in. And I'm a great one for a plan. I like a good plan. <laughs> I like writing. I like drawing little boxes and saying what's good growing there. So, um, so there's been a bit of that. Um, the only other thing really that I've that kind of you know if I'm thinking about that. The sort of major events that might have happened is I, I got a deer. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so just one of the other things that I'm interested in is is home butchery. Now, obviously, the the um, season for hunting is, is over here. We're in between seasons. But um, I've, the local farmer lets me know if um, deer get caught up or unfortunately get killed in his field, you know, maybe in the uh, fencing and stuff like that. And, and that happened, so someone actually saw it and it and it got caught in a fence and unfortunately died. Well, it was unfortunate for the deer, um, but then, <laughs> but then, I could have just we could just let that waste that meat. Um, but I quite like um, being able to use that as a product, so I went out and got it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and home butchered it. And, How did you get it home? Um, I didn't get all of it home. Right, what okay. I did was um, obviously, bit on, I've got access to those farmers' fields because I do hunt yeah. there when I when I can and. Um, so I went. I walked out and and butchered it uh, in the field. So I dressed it in the field. So um, done what I could, and then took home the main cuts for at home. But you know they're so it's such lean meat um, and quite easy to butcher in the field. Something I've been interested in for years: home home butchery and game de- uh, game butchery. So I don't have a problem doing it. And mm. um, and it was a very hot day, so I knew that if I hadn't gone out, got the meat we'd be looking at probably one or two days before it would have been completely yeah. unfit for human consumption yeah. anyway. But um, So I took the the shoulders and the haunches off and the back straps and the tenderloins um, and just carried them home mm. in a big bag. Um, and then I'd done the rest of the butchery at home after I chilled the meat down. Um, but it being the wrong season for butchery, um, the majority of it had to go straight into the freezer Mm. Uh, which is it's it's not ideal because you know really you would want it 
uh, rigger to go in and out of the meat, which I let the rigger to go in and out of the meat to, to, to get it into a place where it wouldn't get cold burn in the freezer, because if you do it beforehand, it can make the meat really chewy. Um, but um, I was able to get probably, I don't know, 20 steaks, a couple of joints, maybe 10 kilos of stewing meat. Oh, wow. A whole liver, which is one of my favourite cuts. You know, I really like. Uh, I had that today, funnily enough, in the dinner, and um, and obviously the tenderloins themselves. You know, I just cut into steak. So it's really nice because then you know, I might get fifteen or twenty meals out of that for my family, and that was an opportunity. And you know, coming right back to to what what we were talking about at the beginning, it's all about opportunities. You know, mm. that's just some. I didn't plan for that. It no. just happened. You know, um, um, but I like knowing that I can deal with those things um, when they arise. So that was a really nice thing. It's about me. connections as well, isn't it? About knowing, you know, knowing people that know stuff and the connection you made with your farmer and all that. Mm. People that live around you and those opportunities then come around, I guess. Yeah, very much so. And uh, one, of, you know, I one of my children is a vegetarian, um, but conversations I have with her and my own beliefs really are that if you're going to eat meat like I do it's about being able to get the best quality meat you can and for me that is wild meat yeah. you know whether it's through hunting rabbits myself or um, you know getting venison hmm. I think that, that you know that's the best way to do it if you can uh, but hmm. not everyone's in that position I understand yeah. that yeah or home rearing it perhaps well, you've done a bit of that as well in your time. We, we've done some chicken. Comes out at some point, no doubt. Yeah. So you've mentioned your garden as well, didn't you? Well, it, um, obviously, you've got your beans and that in now, take it. Uh, so we had that little cold spell, didn't we? You sort of talked about May being really hot, but I don't know if you remember, right about the middle of May, we had a threat of a frost, didn't we? Do you remember? Yeah, it was really bad because we just started to think we might be able to sow some yeah. stuff and then we had, <laughs> we had some really dodgy germination and uh, I rely on a cold greenhouse. I do start some things off indoors on windowsills, but that did hamper my efforts to get my dwarf French bean, because I'd like to grow them first to try and get an early crop. But they, they made it through. Um, I had quite a few failures. But the other thing which has been, which has really hampered, you know, the, the start of the growing season here, not so much for you and I, because we were in a better position, but the lack of availability of seed oh, yeah, due, to the, yeah, due to the COVID crisis and, and obviously the closure of garden centres and shops and things like that. It, it, it was really enlightening for me, someone who has a seed tin like everyone yeah. else, but because I've got that tick over, I know the seeds are in, that are in there are viable and things like this. But to see people, un, you know, unfortunately paying really silly money just to get a handful of bean seeds mm. to get things started you know it really brought home one of the things one of the high, highlights really of one of the main important things about this is being not in a position where you have to scrabble around you know you've got you've got that ability to be self-reliant or self-sufficient mm. for seed and that's something that really shone a light on that for me so I even was able to go into the store cupboard in my cooking mm. cupboard yeah and get out beans which I dried for culinary use, yeah. but of course they are just French bean seeds, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so I was able to use those, you know. And it's just having a little bit of wherewithal about what varieties you grow in and and saving some seed down every year. But it has made me think about that. Yeah. So um, I'd overwintered some spring onions. You know, I sowed those at the back end of last year, and they kicked on. And then um, I've actually let some of those go to seed 
in order to save some of that seed. So okay. I'm running a little bit of a seed trial at home. Yeah. So obviously, you know, between us two, we keep borlotti beans and things like that. Um, I've not done squashes because I'm not sure about the cross-pollination, whether they would come true again. But but I've just eaten my last one yeah. of that variety I like, so I've kept some back. And well, we'll find out this year because I gave you some seed from that one. That oh, I, yeah, that's true. I kept, well, I yeah. actually bought that one, but I've t- saved the seed from it and they've germinated perfectly. Yeah, yeah they come up with just so be some crazy... Through. It, well, they could well, be some like crazy hybrids, man. <laughs> they, they came from a field in Kent. I was up there with my mate. And I was, I was visiting a friend of mine back in the autumn. And it was like, oh, this is amazing pumpkin patch. You should go down there and pick some pumpkins. I was like, well, I've got a few. But yeah, all right, let's go and have a look see what they got. Mm. And then I think, I think it was a Crown Prince. Great big grey blue. Yeah, beautiful, like beautiful it. pumpkin. Um, but they're so, growing all different ones there, though. Yeah, yeah, lots yeah, of different yeah, ones see, to see, so we'll see. Who knows? Well, yeah. Maybe we'll come up with our own variety. Well, anyway. it might be better, you, yeah, never, know. you never, know. never know. So, yeah, trying to work out whether I can be a little bit less reliant on seed suppliers. Mm. So, just white Lisbon, winter hardy white Lisbon seeds, and I've got about 10 seed heads developing. They're, they're, they're just drying now, and then mm. I'll try and take some seeds out there and see what happens, you know, and this is the other side of it, is that it's not all about knowing, it's some of it is about experimentation and trying to see what comes about. Well, I, that's, that's a whole area I've not really explored. I have always purchased seeds, yeah. um, but I don't like being reliant on someone else. I think, I think when you've got, like we have, a small space to grow in, you can't afford for something to go wrong, can you? So by buying seed, you know it's proprietary, proprietary seeds, you know what it is. It's going to come true to whatever they tell you it's going to do within a bit. You know, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to work, it's going to be okay. Whereas if you do something that you've saved yourself, Perhaps there's a little bit more risk involved in yeah. that. When you've only got a small space, you can't really afford to lose a crop, can you? So You can't afford, afford to lose a crop, but I was worried, as I'm, I expect a lot of people were at the beginning and middle of March, that I might not have any crop because yeah. the availability, well, seed supply stops supplying. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's the, 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 shut the shops were too busy, weren't they? The, the online shops were really struggling with their own supplies. Mm. Um, and normal sort of secondary avenues, like um, you know some of the discount shops or even supermarkets yeah. here, they weren't available either. Yeah. People had cleared those out, and unfortunately, a lot of those had just gone then straight onto eBay and was getting sold for silly money. <laughs> um, someone was making a few quid out of it, yeah. but um, I, I would love not to have to be so reliant on those. I know that some things like brassicas, it's impossible because of the cross fertilisation. Yeah. But more, you know, tomatoes. There's a, a I've had some good success with tomatoes yeah, in the past. I've yeah. done it with them before. Yeah. That would be something I'll be keen to try this year. Yeah. So just just taking that little bit of time at the end of the season to let a few go on, save that seed and reuse next year. It just makes sense. And the other thing that I'd learned about this, I didn't realise about it, um, but what I tend to do is buy a book on the subject and then read yeah. all about it, is that what you actually do is, even though you might be still maintaining a strain, so let's take the cobra bean, for example... Mm. You might have the co- the cobra bean, which is a you know really well known uh, bean that you can save seed f- from. But what you might get in that seed if you save your own is a, is is a, an adapt an adaptation to your own growing conditions. Mm. That's what I've been reading. Mm. So that yeah, it is a cobra bean, but that one came and was growing and then was harvested from your soil with its particular micro mm. kind of uh, organisms in the soil or whatever you have and balances of different chemicals and 
and it and it kind of stands to reason that if you then planted that back into that soil, it would have a better chance than if you moved it to a more alien soil. So I kind of understand that. I definitely remember. So I've seen something on TV. I think it might have been Gardens World a few years back. Some fella reckoned he kept the same seed for twenty four years. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Same run of bean seed it was. But the problem again is, of course, that if we are going to do that with beans, you're looking at a five meter distance between your your crops mm. to try and reduce that mm. risk of cross pollination. Yeah. And I haven't got enough space for that. No. Unless you grow one type of bean. Unless I grow one, I could I could do one type of bean at my lot and one type of bean at home. Yeah, that would be the solution. I suppose, yeah, which yeah. I, have, I have done to an extent in the past. Yeah, and I've got no problem with doing that. I know that it'd probably be more. I don't think tomatoes cross pollinate though; they're self fertile, aren't they? So you wouldn't necessarily get that problem with your tomatoes because obviously I know you grow about nine thousand fries. <laughs> I'm only on seven this year. That's quite well for me. Well, I'm on four. That's oh, pretty yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the other the other things that are coming along are the tomatoes. Yeah. Um, and they're doing really well. You got you got fruit on there, yeah, or not? I have got fruit, green, not red yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the in cold greenhouse tomatoes okay. are, are green. I haven't got fruit yet on the outdoor ones yet. Okay. Um, and I'm growing some bog standard money maker, some outdoor girl, which I've not grown before, but I've heard My good things girls about. Going great guns, loads yeah. of fruit on mine. Oh, that's good yeah, to yeah. know. And then I've also grown a variety which I got from a discount store, which I've heard is just called Cerise. So one mm-hmm. of the one of the seed supplies that you can buy in the UK is a Dere Dere is the name of the company, and you know they tend to be something that you might find in a supermarket or a budget store or something like that. Yeah. Seed quality has always been good. You don't get as many seeds in the packet. But they're 99p, you know. It's not always a bad thing, is it? You no. have 1,500 lettuce seeds. Who needs yeah, that many yeah. when you've got a plot? Well, there, there's probably. a pack of 50 tomato seeds. So, um, And they are described as a cherry tomato. That's yeah. it. That's all the information you get. So I, I, I did what everyone else does, is look them up on Google. Mm. And a lot of contradictory advice. Some people grow them as a bush. Some people yeah. grow them as a cordon. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do one of each. Yeah. Well, no more, two of each, and see what happens. But yeah. for me, where I live with the outdoors and the unreliability that sometimes it poses here. Cherry tomatoes are better for me because they obviously ripen a bit quicker than yeah, the regular yeah, yeah. tomatoes. So, yeah. um, and they're probably a bit less likely to get blossom end rot because there's just not so much of them, is there? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they're in and out quicker. So um, I'm not canning or anything like that. I'm gonna go, they're all gonna go to the table or we might freeze some. We might freeze some. I'm gonna go on the canning thing big time this year. Oh no, I've mate. I've already got about eight kilos in the freezer from the farm shop. <laughs> Nothing more that mate. Well, I've got two quid. For and the I think, so. yeah, and I think that um, you know, you getting into the canning is sort of. I, I have to think about how my my storage of crops is nowhere near as um, as good as it could be. Dry foods, no problem. But my fresh produce, I really want to think about how to develop that. And for me, that probably does mean freezing. It does mean mm. buying a, a freezer dedicated to just fruit and vegetables and being able to manage that bit of glut to take you through. We do make pickles, that's one of the things we do do, so especially pickled courgettes and yeah. you know that bread and butter pickle that we do, which we'll be giving a recipe out for people, I expect, but yeah. when that time comes around. There's a whole podcast there, isn't there, mate? Yeah, to deal with a courgette club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly is. Courgette beer, that's got to be in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> courgette bread, wine. Bread, wine. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know that you your skills very much... Over, you know, I outplay mine on that, so I'll be relying on you for some of that. Mm. Um, Thinking about that, going back to your venison, though, actually, you could have made like rather than freezing it, you could have made that into stuff. 
you know, like the stew or whatever, and then yeah. you can that. And, you know, and I've got, yeah. obviously, I've got the pressure yeah. can equipment at home to do yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't think of it. you're very welcome to borrow or come yeah. over mine and use, you know. It's well, that'd be like a, good, a good thing to learn because I don't have any uh, experience of canning, really. Mm. I've done some, I've done a bit of pickling, really, is probably yeah, as far yeah. as I've gone. And, I, and my, I like pickles, so it's all right, you know. Yeah. Beetroots and cabbage yeah. And, yeah. and courgettes and cucumber, that's fine. Yeah. I've I've had hit and hit and miss with freezing. I think that I would. I, I think that I think that drying has got some good heritage to it. I'm all right with that. Uh, but for me, things like beans, where yes, they do freeze okay. They just, I don't. It's not as good, are they? It, it, they're not as good. But also, I find that they're a bit jaded for me. I would rather eat in season as much as I can. Yeah. Because I love those first monge two of the year when you get them off the off the off the pea shoots, and similarly with you know freshly grown French beans when you have that first crop of those, it's it's got a seasonality to it, doesn't it? You know, and I I don't think I've I don't want to be able to have strawberries all year. I like it when it's strawberry time. I like it when it's raspberry harvest. You know, um, but that then leads to questions of what you grow in the winter and how do you do that? Yeah. Um, but dry, drying, I'm interested in. I've always been interested in that. I'd like to get a dryer. You yeah, know, so dehydrate, yeah. yeah, we've talked about doing dehydration before, and that might be something I might think about. And yeah. you do the canning, and I'll I'll make um, the build. I'll make the build on. Make the build on. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good. Wouldn't it? Sounds like plans. Yeah, salt cod or something. Yeah, I we'll do, do a bit of trade go. up there. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> so I've, I suppose for me, it's been about beekeeping a lot of it. Yeah. I've done obviously. I've done a lot of the garden stuff, a lot of the vegetables. Yeah. Uh, you know, succession sign of salads, and I've had my overwintered onions out just this week. I had a bit of trouble with, with my garlic, I had a lot of rust on my, rust on my garlic. That was well, I had that as well. Yeah, yeah I lot. Yours I, come out all right because mine not great. This so, year. mine went in really early, right? And so, I think mine were a bit ahead of yours yeah. size wise, right? Okay, so the garlic I've got out this year <laughs> is bigger than the garlic I had, which was rust free last year. Okay, my, my worry was that it wouldn't store as well. Because yeah. I'm just finishing my garlic now from yeah. last year, and it is just starting to sprout. It's yeah. you know it's perfectly edible. You can yeah. use it; it's no yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, so it has. I've, I have literally had that year supply, which is what I'm about. Yeah. Um, but I was worried that that if it had been affected by rust, it might not store as well. But all of the evidence seems to point to the other no, way. The, it doesn't. the story that you hear is that it doesn't. But if that's the case, then that's good. Mine's got no chance of lasting that long. I'll eat it all before. Yeah. How many did you but do? I did about 65, something like that. Yeah, so and I think they've all come out, but they're all really small and, and affected by the rust. Yeah. Um, and, the and the dry. And the, well, it was, we had that really wet winter, didn't we? Yeah. And then the really dry sort of spring. So they have to have cold. Yeah. It's, it's called, not, been, not been cold where I'm at all. No, and that's, you know, few, that's that vernalisation, they call it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that yeah. they have to go through to, to yeah. then think that they've had an off-season and then yeah. grow. So. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was partly due to that. It did get cold here though. Yeah, it didn't get cold. Like I said on the last one, I think it was maybe maybe a week's worth of frost all through the whole winter. Yeah. That's about it. It's hardly been any this year. So the only thing about mine is that some because they had because I got mine out a bit early. Mm. Some of them are have still got quite a hefty stem. Yeah. So I've left all of that on. I've, yeah. I've left everything on them at the moment, yeah. and I'm just drying them in the garden, yeah. trying to play that, you know, do that thing about getting them in and out sometimes. Yeah. If you know it's going to bucket down with rain, I'll get yeah. them in. And I'm just waiting for the stems to wither a bit yeah. to seal up, and then they, they should go through. Right. What about yours? Are they dry? No, I've, I've, just, I've just got my um, greenhouse staging out now because my tomatoes are in the greenhouse. Uh, so they're sort of taking over the whole greenhouse mm. now. So I've taken out the, the slats from the staging. 
and I've just rested that between a couple of crates outside yeah. and just sort of slid the down. stem down yeah. through so they're hanging literally with the, the head of the garlic yeah. sitting on the, on the bench and then yeah. the, the stem hanging down underneath. It's been damp though, hasn't it? It's been damp, but it won't stay that way, will it? It's, so you're leaving them out more yeah, than Yeah, I, I did it last summer and got away with it perfectly fine, right. so they've been out. Well, I've been um, getting mine in now, so maybe yeah. I'll just leave mine out. I mean, I could put mine in my garage, actually, and they, that gets nice and warm in there, so it'll probably dry yeah. pretty well in there. But yeah. You want a just, bit of airflow, though, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. So I just, I just, I've left them out. It worked perfectly well last year. So well, unless what, it gets really wet. One of the things that was interesting about uh, the rust is that I'd always assumed that that was something that affected all the alliums. Mm. Uh, but in my reading about the garlic, mm. I found out that you can grow, that different rust spores yeah. affect different alliums. Yeah. So if your garlic has got rust, if you've got onions next door, they yeah. will, they are quite likely to be unaffected, which yeah. mine were. Which has I, been the case yeah. for me, yeah. Um, and the other thing I read that is that if you wanted to, you could um, plant those next year and they wouldn't have rust. They okay. wouldn't carry that over. Right. Okay. Which is good to know if you're, yeah. like going back to what we were saying, yeah. trying to think about be a bit more sufficient in your mm. seeds and where you get your stock from. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I've got a good healthy kind of curiosity about whether that is just a way to save money, you know. <laughs> because everyone says you should never use the shop bought garlic because it comes from a foreign climate. And I get that. Yeah. But if I've grown it, why... There's no reason for life. Like, there isn't, is it? It, it, it just comes back to that thing about risk again, doesn't it? Yeah. You, when you buy something, you're expecting a certain quality yeah. and you pay that money for it. Whereas when you're planting something you've grown yourself, you can't guarantee the no. same quality. No. And I know that when I did my training, you know, I've done a bit of training with the RHS, as you know, and, and when I did that, it was all very much about, you know, you buy Purity quality of seed, seed yeah. and, and you know what you're buying, you know what you're getting, it's yeah. going to come true to type yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And you're going to get, you know, high germination rate, which actually isn't always the case, but you should get a high germination yeah. rate. And all that sort of quality assurance stuff that you get with the, with the cost, yeah. you, know, that you paid for, the, for taking the risk out of the equation, yeah. which when you're doing it like we are, you know, if that crop had failed, that like I sowed back in November, that's that garden space wasted. And I've got yeah. an unlimited amount of garden space yeah. and a limited amount of time, I can't get that back. So I suppose... With the garlic, what I might try and do is I'll keep some back this year mm. and I'll sow it in November. Mm. And then if it doesn't, I've always got that window in the yeah. spring. I could try that. Yeah, and I, I, so, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying it, don't do it because we've done it before and it works perfectly well. Sown bolotti beans that we've yeah. dried. Yeah, they it works perfectly up. well. Yeah. They come out lovely, they come up true to type, it's all fine. Um, so, and the same with tomatoes, so it can work, and I think probably it's something we should experiment with in the yeah, autumn and that. And definitely. Be something to talk about going forward. But. Well, it, it could be a little project to run, you know, with your own. So, let's just say that I save some of those outdoor girl seeds mm. and then run a trial next year of mm. shop bought outdoor girl and my own home saves outdoor girl, growing them in the same conditions. See what comes out. Well, outdoor girls are a really good one because you can't mistake it. <laughs> no, it's got totally it's different leaves, isn't it? Looks so different. It looks, yeah, it's weird, it's, isn't it? It's potato leaf, doesn't it? Yeah. So it looks so different to like my sandmars. All the other varieties I've got, it doesn't yeah. look like any, any like anything like any of them. Uh, and you know, I've done I've done as many sandmars on as I've done everything else this year. Uh, yeah, but you can you can spot the one in, yeah. in the middle of all of them because yeah. it's just so so obvious that it's different. So uh, just. <laughs> Trying to, trying to work out yeah it'd be nice it'd be good, good to try I've got a little book on the subject mate which was mm. old school 1970 seed oh, saving like an old school book don't you? I do yeah because <laughs> I think there's a lot to be added some of that wisdom <laughs> well you're not telling me that the boys on the you know on the prairie were going down to buy new seed every year no <laughs> well, chance they, they, they weren't going down to go the garden centre no they weren't sure. no. they weren't they, no. they had those heritage varieties yeah. that would go one year over to the next and 
And they were reliant on them, I would argue, a lot more than we are. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that stays that way, eh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so for me, I was saying about the beekeeping, I've done a lot of beekeeping since the last time we spoke. Mm. Um, I don't remember if, we, if we'd caught the swarm the last time we spoke, but... No, uh, uh, no, we talked a little bit about getting ready. Yeah, so, so within about a week of the last podcast releasing, we literally, in my front garden, caught a swarm. Yeah. Uh, and as I said, in the middle of a small town, um, I've got a, a nuke box on the roof, which has been up there all through the winter. Um, and I was out in the back garden doing something out the back garden, and all of a sudden, one of the kids comes out, Dad, 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 there's bees in the front garden. Yeah. I'm like, get in. And was there any, what was in it? Yeah. In what, was in it the, just an empty box, or do you put? Because obviously you hear about all these pheromones and everything. Oh, uh, I put lemongrass oil in it, so I, yeah. I put about six or seven drops of lemongrass oil right in the back of the box. Yeah. And if I've got it, I'll put an old frame in there. Yeah. Or failing that, some old wax, some old comb. Yeah. Anything just to. But get me interested. Yeah, and whatever it was, I could smell it. Yeah. I could smell it from down on the ground. Beside, obviously, this is on the garage yeah. roof, so it's like eight foot up in the air, whatever. And you walk past, and you can smell it. So the bee, you know, damn sure the bees can smell it. Uh, and there have been scouts coming in and out for days and I was thinking, you know, next time the weather goes cold and it suddenly comes warm again, yeah, it gets warm. And then all of a sudden it just turns up this yeah. morning and, and it was beautiful. It was just it was so lovely. The garden's full of these bees. There's thousands of them flying around. And you could literally, I went upstairs so I could look down on yeah. from the bedroom window down onto the garage roof. And you could see they'd landed on the edge of the garage roof and they were yeah. kind of marching in as they do. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. It's just one of those things which if you don't open your eyes to some of those rhythms you never mm. see it's an no. amazing thing isn't it yeah. Yeah. it is an amazing thing and when you can when you and then when you've got the confidence to deal with it it's even yeah. better isn't it well and I think I don't, I don't. you just saw jars of honey going in it didn't you did. that's what you saw it as well, <laughs> <laughs> well I've been selling them on my curbside I've sold a few jars of honey just recently yeah. I'm like this is this is good I like this so yeah if I could have a few more jars of honey to sell next year that wouldn't be a bad thing but, uh, but no and I've had, had a chance to get out to some of our hives as well um so we've got a couple of different out apiaries and, and one sort of the main one I managed mm. to get to the main yard mm. as you know we yeah. got in there unfortunately we'd lost one hive over the spring I think mm. it got through the winter and I'm not sure what happened but by the time we got in to look at it it, it died out there wasn't, wasn't a single bee in there it had all been cleared yeah. out and the wax moths were just starting to move in so I've taken that apart put the frames in the freezer to kill them off yeah. and that would be ready to go back out but that's the but, way you know <laughs> we know don't we that we're probably we would we would be abhorrent to a lot of beekeepers the way oh, we decide yeah. to keep Pariahs. this. <laughs> yeah, we would. <laughs> but unfortunately, I was taught by quite a laissez-faire beekeeper. <laughs> Bless him, God rest his soul. Yeah. Big shout out to Robin there who taught yeah. me. But he um, he was very much a, a kind of natural beekeeper and he did work with natural rhythms, but he was not someone who was religious about going through a comb every no. seven, nine days to look for the cells and what have you. You know, we, he managed them on the understanding that he did lose some bees every year, but he also gained some bees every year, you know, mm. through swarms um, and would do some splits and, you know, he was happy to to, to, to always have an element of turnover in his stock, which mm. meant that perhaps, yeah, there was a, a swarming strain that had, mm. was more prevalent in his stock than others, mm. but he never saw that as a bad thing, really. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just like kind of trying to keep that same colony going forever and anew. Mm. And I quite like that. I quite like being part of that. Well, I, I, I go along the Darwinian line, to be honest yeah. with you, and that is that the bees, are, they're not pets. No, they're not They're not pets. livestock. No, they're not. Uh, and, and as long as I don't do anything to actively harm them, yeah. um, they will find a way to, to survive if they can. Yeah. And, and so, 
you know, my view has always been that we will we'll try and avoid using any chemicals. I don't put chemicals on my, my vegetables. Why would I put it in my? No, oven? we don't do that. Um, so that's my my personal view, and and also that you know, you talk about varroa mite, and a lot of people that maybe listening to this, that maybe listen to beekeeping podcasts, keep bees themselves. Um, as far as I'm concerned, varroa mite is is another parasite, and the bees will find a way to mm. deal with it, and they do. And we've got evidence of that. We've got a hive that's what twelve years since you last treated it. If it was ever treated, I, I, all, never, tra- I never treated it. So, so one of our hives is. It was a strain of bee that we got from a friend of mine in Cambridgeshire who mm. was quitting beekeeping, and mm. so I travelled up and got the bees from him. Mm. I think he probably had treated them because mm. he was very uh, into making sure he was about high yield and things yeah. like that. Um, and let's be honest, was learning. And if you mm. did go along with a lot of learning. You would be treating your bees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would be making sure that you were um, doing everything you could to minimise the varroa threat. Mm. And I suppose it's hard for us because we've never been hit with varroa badly. No. We've never had that. We've never suffered from a colony which has just died out and then another no. one died out and another one died out. No. And that might be because of a result of not do, doing that. But you know, putting myself in other people's shoes, perhaps if we had suffered some really significant losses, we might be we might be more you know, ready to try some of these things. I think the other thing is we don't pay for bees. No, that's it. So, um, because we know how to catch swarms, we don't pay for bees. So there's not a financial investment in each colony that we've got. That we've got one colony still. In fact, no, we haven't got any colonies. But I bought my very first one. Yeah, we from from someone that caught a swarm. I, I paid another yeah, beekeeper. I was going to get seventy quid or something for it, and it, it didn't last very long. Whatever, you know, I probably made a mess up to be honest. You know, in the early days, but but we haven't treated any of the ones that we've caught, and the, most of the rest, apart from that one that you got from your friend, is all. Swarms yes, and, splits and, and, and you know that strain of bee has always been in that hive, yeah, yeah. that mother hive that we've yeah. got, and and obviously it's not the same queen. No, um, but we don't know now, do we? No. How many generations that hive, no. that particular colony's gone through? But it's going strong, yeah. and like you say, I've never in 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 the times <laughs> that I've investigated drone comb and stuff like that, I've never felt that there was any infestation of varroa? Oh, I've, ca- I've, I've taken drone comb off and counted mites and stuff like that before, just out of mm. curiosity. And you see, you know, you see quite a lot of them. I, mm. I don't know what a lot looks like, to be honest with yeah. you, because I don't do it, I don't do sugar shaking and all that stuff, I don't yeah. do it. So, um, I don't know what a, look, a lot looks like, but it looked like a lot, and mm. the colony was still perfectly strong. Mm. Mm. Um, so, and because we don't treat, they find a way to deal with it. Mm. And, and the other thing that we do, of course, is keep more hives than we need. Yeah. And so, if we do suffer awesome. losses, we've got back up and if, if one hive's not doing very well this year then someone else has produced a surplus yeah. so there should always be honey going you know come, it's going spare for us yeah I think that I think that it, it fits in with and it kind of goes back to everything we've been talking about is what can you do you do the best you can with what you've got yeah. and where you're at and for years I kept two hives with you know little bits of equipment that I begged borrowed and stole mm-hmm. and and because I couldn't do it any other way. Yeah. That's what I had at the time. Yeah. I, I wasn't a particularly, um, I wasn't into wood woodworking at, at that time. Yeah. Didn't have the tools and the space yeah. to do things. I didn't have the time either no. with no. the young children, yeah. really young children. So I had a couple of old beat up hives and, yeah. I, and I got a bit of honey out of them every year yeah. and I kept some bees. Yeah. And that's how I cut my teeth on it really. Yeah. You know? And then when the opportunity came up along that this gentleman in Cambridgeshire had got, you know, had enough and... You know, he then gave me all the equipment he had, which was so kind. But that's something that seems to be prevalent amongst beekeepers, sharing and oh, passing on yeah. and handing down and stuff. That really gave me the opportunity to have a go at it properly. And I think, I think, well, those hives, we're still using them now. Yeah, so. it's not, 
yeah. they're just not, not 10, 10 metres from the side, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, where we're right. sitting right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh, it, uh, it's a great thing to do. I think, and the nice thing as well is talking about sharing is that, you know, that's all what I've caught now. has gone off to a friend of ours in, and going back to our sort of urban homesteading kind of idea in the UK, he's now got them in the top bar hive in his back garden, hasn't he? You know? Yeah, which was born out of probably a bit of boredom. Um, yeah. He'd always wanted to keep these, but going back to what you were just saying is that he lives in a property where he's got a bit of land along the side of a road. It's mm. in a sense a hedgerow, but yeah. it's under a hedgerow, if you like, yeah. so it's mature trees. And then he's got a bit of ground, probably about 10 feet wide yeah. um, and maybe 50 or 60 feet long. Mm. And there's nothing you can do with that space. Yeah. It's right next to a road. Yeah. And then on the other side of it is a field, but that tree line belonged to him, yeah. 10 feet wide. And so he's thought for years about what to do there. He wanted to do something productive with it. He thought about putting a small um, shed or quail house down there mm. and doing that. Um, but then realised that because of it, where it was in proximity to the road and things like that, you know, it was perfect for just um, just keeping some bees on. Mm. So he's a very handy guy, but never done beekeeping, never um, probably been in a beehive unless he's been out with me or you. Yeah, but, but, but he decided to try and give top bar hiving a go. Yeah. Um, certainly we had a lot of chats about it and it's something I'd definitely like to have a go at. Um, so he's you know, a really handy guy. So he just, he just built a top bar hive out of completely recycled materials. So Brilliant. pallets, he had some angle iron to make a framework, used, used bits of um, jeans impregnated with wax to make the top bar strips, yeah. you know, just to give them something to hook onto yeah. and literally just made it. Yeah. And and then when you got your swarm, we took it over and installed it, and they're still going. They're going great guns. We don't know what, who knows what it's going to go like. It's we're all learning off it. It's like, it was only a little swarm, I think. So it wasn't, it wasn't a massive swarm, but no, it's a cast, I think. Yeah, but but as as a starter beekeeper, it's not a bad place to start. Oh, no, Being it early, as long as we get a reasonable summer, and I know the brambles just starting to come in flower now. Um, you know, he's feeding them anyway. There's so a reasonable chance. Yeah, he's put some sugar syrup out just to get them going. Yeah. Um, it would have been nicer if it was a bit warmer, so that the bees didn't have to work quite as hard to get the wax drawn. But they're um, but they're doing it. Yeah. So, yeah. and if it doesn't work, we'll get another one. Yeah. That's the other side of it, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, you give them a chance, don't you? But yeah, yeah. If they don't make it. They don't make it. We'll get some more. No, and, and <clears throat> certainly don't give up on the first try. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, so so our bees our bees are looking pretty good, I have to say. I think we when I looked uh, probably a couple of weeks ago now because the weather's turned a bit, isn't it? Yeah. When I last looked in, I reckon we're probably on about three supers full already. Wow, that's serious. So that's, that's a good 60 jars of honey between us, which is probably enough for us for the year. So anything on top of that is... Yeah, that's how we operate, isn't it? So once we get up to about 30, 40 jars each, yeah. then the rest we can start to use to make surplus and yeah. either sell for developing equipment or whatever. Barter it away or whatever, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... And then the other news for me is that... Um, my neighbour, who I, whose land I use at the back of my garden, um, obviously, very sadly, I found out about three or four weeks ago, the gentleman passed away. Mm. Um, and his wife has now moved away to live with family up north. Mm. Uh, and there's potentially that they're going to sell the property. So it might be good news, it might not be good news. Yeah. From my perspective, long term, um, possibly we might be looking at trying to buy that bit of land if it comes up for sale, if it comes available. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or it might be that we now, unfortunately, lose it and I have to look at finding a different place to keep my vegetables growing. But yeah. uh, for the time being, I'm going to assume that everything's going to be hunky-dory. One thing that did come out of a conversation I had with our son-in-law was that it might be that there's a, not only just the garden part that I've been using, but that possibly some of the woodland that's there as well as a, 
Um, well, that'd be ideal. But the back of our house is a long row of really nice big houses that yeah. cost lots of money. And at the bottom of that, there's a little strip of woodland where they, they couldn't really build anything. It's too steep and, and the trees are there in the way and everything. So just left it in the garden. I assumed it belonged to one of the big houses at the back. Yeah, but it doesn't belong to them. But it looks like it might belong to them, in which case it might that might be available as well, which would be a real touch. Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, so how big is that space? I actually dimensions. don't know. I, I'm, it's complete guesswork. We don't know. Yeah, the, the son-in-law was like, I'm pretty sure that's the case, but there's been a fence put across it, like a six-foot fence put across it. Yeah. Um, I have had a look over that fence since, and there is um, signs that it's... There's a shed to the right as I look at it, um, which would be in the middle of, if it would belong to the garden coming down here, it would be like randomly in the middle of the garden almost. Yeah. Um, and it's all derelict and falling down and stuff. And if you're looking at it from the bottom here, looking up, it's actually in the back right-hand corner of the garden. Right, yeah. So I wonder if that's the end of the garden and there should be yeah. a fence there. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. Wait and see what comes of that. Uh, good luck with that, because um, that sounds ideal. Well, if it were to come up, that would be, uh, that solves a lot of the problems. Mm. And, and, you know, I'm not then gardening in this small space I've got. A decent amount of space to work with, but we'll see. We'll see. You might even be able to have a beehive down there. Well, I was top by. <laughs> I said to I said to my wife straight away. She said, "Oh, that's amazing if that's true." I said, "Yeah, like a treehouse, rope swing, couple of pigs." <laughs> top bar <laughs> yeah, yeah, top bar <laughs> And she's like, "Oh, you've got it sorted already." Absolutely. So uh, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what comes out. That's you know something to keep our eye on. Um, but other than that, it's just all keeping things ticking over, I suppose. Um, you know, the, the garden's going all right do with the weather warming up again a bit but yeah we could and I suppose part of where we're at now is also it's always the next thing isn't it mm. you know it's the next thing we're, we're aware that this is that time where you kind of get inklings about what's going to come good and what might not mm. um, and you know I always get a bit worried about some things you know the size of the sweet corn and the yeah. purple spraying broccoli and then you know you might like myself you suffer a few losses and yeah. then you have to kind of rejig your plans or maybe think, right, well, that's not worked. So what can I do now yeah. in order to, to make the best use of what I've got? So there's, there's an element of that going on as well. Yeah. Kind of a hypervigilance. Well, there's, there's also the, the, the you know, over-sowing. You know, I, I start a lot of my stuff with yeah. modules, as you know, rather than pricking out because I can't be doing with it. Um, so I've got modular trays. Or I did have modular trays until a few days ago and I potted them up of like brassicas and uh, I've got some extra sweet corn and some mm. extra courgettes and some extra tomatoes and that. So if, if stuff does fail, yeah, I've got, got ready sort of to plug in yeah, got, backup yeah. plans. Yeah. And it might not be quite the same stuff as I, you know, if no. the sweet if all the sweet corn crop failed at the allotment, which could happen, it has happened mm. in the past. Mm. It wouldn't be sweet corn I replaced it with because I haven't got no, enough. Haven't got enough. But I would have think something else to put in its place. And it is about just having that little and that, some of that's about know how. Um, yeah, and, you know, and if you're starting out, it's you know you try stuff and you see what happens. And if it does fail, where well, you learn from that, and you, you know, next year you do it differently. Whereas because we've been through that process a few times and we've yeah. had fail failures yeah. and everything else, you know, you learn to to be ready for them, don't you? I think. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I find that um, you know something we were just talking about again earlier is that the other thing that happens around this time of year mm. is you become involved helping people who've never done it before. Yeah, yeah. You encourage people, yeah. you know, obviously if people know that you're into growing vegetables, mm. around this time mm. of year, people sort of, oh, I'd like to have a go at that yeah. and do that. And, and I find that a lot of the things that I'm, a lot of things that I do around this time of the year might be helping people who've never done it before. Mm. And whether that's just growing a few courgettes and pots or whatever it is, mm. um, or getting started, or how do you plant, how much to water, what do I do yeah. if I get... Foxes digging up my courgettes every night, yeah, and the, yeah. you know this is these are things that have been happening, and 
and trying to share some of that knowledge is re it's really important for me that because I think that it's just such a nice thing to be able to help someone get started on this little journey mm. which then you don't know where that's going to go you know they teach mm. them children and their mm. children do whatever you know but it's just a it's just such a lovely thing to see when people start to get involved in I've it. had quite a bit of that with the with the curbside store if I'm out in the garden because I've got eggs yeah. and honey out there most days um, and obviously a few plants and bits and pieces I don't need um, I've had quite a few people stop me when I've been out in the front garden and ask yeah. about the bees and the honey or the eggs yeah. and the chickens and you know, how do I do it and where do yeah. I do it and how yeah. does it work and you know for me things like chickens I can't imagine if you've got any outdoor space at all not having them anymore you, you couldn't no. you, I could have, couldn't have them that's mad isn't it and, and for years and years I've lived without them and probably for the last seven or eight we've had them yeah um, and I couldn't imagine being without them and no. I couldn't imagine a scenario in which I wouldn't find a way to keep them as yeah. well yeah because they're is, so simple if you can keep a rabbit mm. you can keep a chicken yeah. that's my that's my philosophy I like them to have a bit more space than a rabbit would have but <laughs> Um, yeah, I but, totally and utterly but, agree. But you can do it without. You know, yeah, if you, if you really were a push, uh, you know, you definitely keep quiet. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, should we take a take a short break there and come back yeah. in a minute and talk about something different? No worries, mate. Nice one. All right, speak to you, mate. Okay, welcome back. So uh, we thought in this sort of second segment we might talk a little bit about getting started and sort of trying to run a homestead or a, uh, being self-sufficient in a small space at home in your sort of typical setup. Um, and sort of perhaps where we started maybe yeah. a little bit um, and the sort of ideas for other people getting out. We sort of mentioned a little bit about helping other people getting yeah. started at this time of year and people asking you about looking after courgettes and yeah. how to deal with fox problems and that sort of thing. Um, where would you start in a small space? You're starting out from scratch. If I had a really place. small space, I mean, before before actually putting anything in the ground or doing anything, was, I would ask loads of people loads of stuff. Go and see stuff. Yeah. Go and find people who do it and, mm. and ask around. And You know, I, when I moved into my current house, which is in a little village, tiny little mm. village, I got into beekeeping because I saw a guy with a load of beehives yeah. and, I, and I wanted to find out about it, so yeah. I just went and asked him. Yeah. And similarly, there's a chap who grows a lovely vegetable garden mm. and got chatting to him and talking mm. about things. Mm. So I think that that is, it should never be underplayed that because most people who are into that kind of thing are quite happy to talk about it and share <laughs> that knowledge. You know, there yeah. does seem to be that yeah. um, kind of willingness amongst mm. people like that. And in, in, in this day and age, there's loads that you can learn online. Yeah. But I would say, I would say the best thing to do would be if you if you had never put your hands in the soil before, mm. I would think about probably starting with some very small pots of things. Mm. But but grow things you like, you know, whether yeah. that's herbs. If you're into cooking as well, I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. It's very hard to grow a load of stuff yourself if you're not really into using and eating yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you know, tied in with making food or becoming self-sufficient in fruit or vegetables or meat or whatever. There's a kind of balance of you like eating, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you certainly like cooking, or you like you appreciate good quality ingredients and vegetables because otherwise, it it's, it just kind of kind of goes against that flow. So it might be that you start by cooking. It might That's be where I start. Yeah, yeah, definitely where I start. It it's might kids cooking. Yeah, but for me, my mum and my mum was the gardener in my family. She did, we didn't grow fruit vegetables at home. Never, mm. never ever did. Wow. Um, but I watched her from a very young age. 
and learnt skills of how to plant things mm. and things like that. And most people, I think, have probably got some of that in their background. But if they haven't, mm. then you do need you do need to show that because it's all very well someone saying firm it in or water it in. Yeah. But you have to see that or be shown how to do it yeah. or or you know or have that direct kind of input. And yeah, you can get that from people on the telly, you know, Monty yeah. Don on Gardens yeah, World yeah, good, doing yeah. those things. Yeah. But it doesn't show you quite how much pressure and quite what to do and, yeah. and things like that. So if you can if you can talk to people and get some advice, I would start with that. And then I would choose things which I don't think I don't feel that it's worth growing one strawberry plant for ten strawberries in a whole year. Yeah? No. So for me, I would think about something which had a really good return, and probably the ideal crop is courgettes because yeah. you get hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And two courgettes are going to make a big difference to yeah. your, you know, yeah. uh, ability to provide something. Yeah. Um, so I think I would probably go down the route of starting if you've got a bit of a garden or a tiny bit of um, a, a small urban garden, have that designated raised bed or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Grow some real simple things. I think that beans are brilliant because they're vertical. Right. Not too late to sow them now. No, you, you could do that thing. right now. Yeah. In fact, you could do it for the next month and a half, yeah, couldn't yeah. you? Right yeah. up to the end of July. Yeah, I think variety. Yeah. yeah, I think beans are great. I think salads is really yeah. underrated, yeah. Um, and they're so easy to. To, to do yourself I do mine in window boxes yeah lettuce a lot of my lettuce is in window boxes yeah perfect come, come again indoors okay. or outdoors uh, at the moment they're in the greenhouse yeah. but they could they don't need to be yeah. they just are because that's where I've got space where the birds aren't going to eat them yeah because there's obviously an issue with pigeons where I am you know, yeah but and I think if I was perhaps you know even before that I would if I had some big tins or big cans or some big flower pots that were spare I would go to the supermarket and I would buy some fresh herbs in mm. pots alive. Mm. I would bring them home and then I would split them up mm. and grow them on my windowsill in my kitchen because I think I think that that would affect your life on a daily level, mm. you know, and the and the and the ability to have fresh herbs and use those is amazing. It it transforms cooking in Mint my opinion. Such a good one for that because yeah. it's yeah. so so uh, vigorous, isn't it? And you have yeah. to be careful, obviously, you don't plant that in the garden because it's too vigorous. But yeah. one of the things I've learned is my local co-op, which is, as you know, just around the corner. Yeah. They chuck out, you know, the big flower, the big pots they keep the yeah. flowers in. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like about 12, 15 litre yeah, tubs. Great. And uh, they chuck those out every so often. Yeah. So if you can get hold of those when they do, put a few holes in the bottom. Super. That in the back garden with a courgette plant in it or a couple of those mint Job plants done. in it. Just in somewhere, you know, for the courgettes who want a bit of sunshine, the mint doesn't care. No. Um, actually but you could shame, you could get some because I grow I don't I I have grown basil from seed but it's a nightmare you know the return on it's not brilliant you, you get a different kind of plant you get a, you get a big mature plant from basil but I haven't got the space in my greenhouse to give over to just basil I get a few in there it's a succession of same with herbs like that yeah basil coriander. You have to sow a pot every week. Yeah. You have to have started by now to be getting it. You know, to get it going, yeah. So yeah. what I did is I bought a basil plant yeah. for about a quid. Mm. And in it is probably 20. There's probably 20 basils crammed into a three-inch pot. You know, these living ones that you get. Yeah. So teased those apart, planted up about four or five of those to make mm. more mature stuff. And then took a load of cuttings, literally with a pair of scissors and yeah. put them in a glass of water yeah. so that they root out yeah. and then I will just keep doing that. So yeah, yeah. kind of from now until, well, they're indoors. So 
if so I keep so that going. When you're doing that, because obviously, you know, I've got an idea of what you're talking about, but people listening might not. Yeah. You're talking about maybe taking what the top 10 centimetres or so? Yeah, I, I'm not that, I'm not that um, accurate and I don't even always do, you know, about nodes and where. And mm. I have had no problem with that. So I literally cut off maybe two or three inches, yeah, about, no, three or four inches of the actual basil plant yeah, leaves at all yeah, yeah. yeah I might take off the very lower set of leaves yeah. and then I'll stand that in a glass of water and after two weeks it will have root, it will have made loads of roots which yeah. you can then take out of the water and plant and in soil down, yeah. and that is it done and then when that one grows you can do exactly the same yeah, to that yeah. one so you just keep going yeah. and keep perpetuating that way right and, the seed and yeah and for me that works yeah and the plants don't seem to suffer, yeah. you know, as long as you can give them, a, it's the light with basil, mm. it's definitely the light, I mean mm. inside the house is warm enough, yeah. um, but there's no reason why on, anyway get back to the point, there's no reason why you couldn't grow um, herbs for your use indoors, maybe coriander, some mint and some basil and parsley in reused Food tins, yeah, you know, yeah, they're, they're tomatoes. absolutely. Yeah, you can tomatoes. get those slightly bigger ones, they're yeah. a bit better, you yeah. know. Yeah. But there's no reason why you can't. You take the labels off, and they actually quite good, don't they? Yeah. Um, and there's no reason why you couldn't do that. Yeah. But then, if you can do that next little bit and get outside and put some in pots, um, I would suggest things like courgettes. Beans are, you know, you do need a bit more space for beans. They're not mm. that easy to do in a pot. You did them a few years ago in a great big flower pot, didn't you? I have done them, and I've got them in there again this year. Right. But that that pot is probably three foot wide. It's right, huge, okay. right. and probably two and a half feet deep. Right, it's, okay. it's a really, it's for a tree, I think. Right, yeah. But they were very good, and I ran a, uh, a teepee up on the inside of that. But the other thing I have had success with, if you're really, you know, um, keen on looking after them is I think that tumbling cherry tomatoes in a yeah. hanging basket are absolutely yeah. brilliant. And yeah. In fact, probably better, because they, they're not going to get eaten by a lot of bugs, because yeah, yeah. they're a bit higher, and certainly not going to get affected by any kind of snails or slugs usually, because they're yeah. on the basket. Yeah. You have to water them yeah, and, feed them. and feed them. But you have to do that anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now you'd be looking at going and buying one of those from your garden, send it when you can well, you can buy, still buy starter plants, you yeah. know, I was... I know certainly even the supermarkets have got them, but you could right. certainly do that. Yeah. Um, so I would go down that route. Yeah. If you had a bit of lawn and you were handy with ramen and nails and you were up for doing some poultry keeping, it's not a bad time to get some point no. of lay hens. Yeah. Um, you could go down that route. Yeah. And I think that out of all of the forms of livestock, probably chickens are the easiest to keep. Well, they always talked about you listen to other people talking about it and read about it. They're kind of the gateway livestock, aren't they? They yeah. get people, anybody can keep those. And them and rabbits, aren't they? They're the two. Yeah, yeah occasionally I mean, quail people. If you're going to eat the meat of a rabbit, then yeah, yeah fair, I'll yeah. get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think for, for sheer joy yeah. of keeping poultry yeah. is amazing. And I know you were talking about that earlier, but yeah. I've recently kind of, I've kept laying hybrids, I've kept ex battery hens, but I've because of my uh, the size of the garden I've got, I was becoming even uneasy about keeping full size hens because I don't I can't let them out all the time. They don't free range. No, you know they're in a, a big straw lined enclosure. Yeah, you know which is open to the sun and the rain and the wind and everything. Mm. And I and I would say each bird has probably got maybe two or three meters square each, which is, which is for me is okay. I can probably that. about what they consider to be free ranging. I would imagine. I'm not sure what the definition is, but it's something I think it's one. Is it one square meter per yeah, bird? I think so. I'm afraid so. Yeah. So they're a lot better off than free range birds. You might buy them. Free range. Um, and 
The only reason that I have to do that is because they will eat everything in my garden. Yeah. Now, there's no denying that chickens make a mess. Yeah. Um, but the straw-lined pen has worked amazing for yeah. me. You know, it's been a revelation. Yeah. But I've gradually weaned off of the bigger birds, full-size yeah. birds, and I've yeah. gone back to bantams, which okay. I actually prefer. Yeah. I actually prefer the eggs, yeah. even though, you know, they're smaller. Yeah. Um, and the main thing I've really noticed is that the feed cost is lower because okay. the birds don't have such a big appetite. They yeah. really don't. Yeah. They really don't. Okay. Um, they, they seem to subsist um, on quite, quite a lot less yeah. feed because you have to look at that balance and how, you know, what you're feeding them. You know, if you're buying in feed like I do, yeah. you know, and I can sell the odd box of six surplus to yeah. pay for it, but at the moment, I'm eating them all. <laughs> yeah, whereas I've got five hens and I'm selling the surplus and that's paid for my most recent yeah. lot of feed that I bought yeah. Um, so yeah I think it's a good it's a good place to start I think that possibly for some people might be a bit of a bit of a stretch I mean going back to what you were saying originally about how do you find out for me yeah. it's about reading online listening to people talk yeah. about it you know there's lots of good podcasts out there you can go and listen yeah. to what other people you know suggest you do yeah. and then have a go and have for me go. it's a lot about having a go and yeah, I yeah, quite I often get asked well how do you do that well, I kind of just had a go. Tried, yeah. I tried it, and you know, I read about it a bit. Of course, I did, and I you know, had a careful think about how I was going to do it. Listen to other people talking about it. Maybe chat a chat to people that I know that have done it, but mostly not. Mostly just had a go. I'll tell you the other thing that had a big influence on me was having young children. Yes, and wanting to do things for them, but also uh, we used to go to farms, mm. and that I can't under you know we've got middle farm which is a very a local farm which mm. we both have used with mm. our children yeah. where they've got livestock they do yeah. hens they do yeah. this they yeah. do that they've got um, cows Guernsey mm. you know make their own cheese and all yeah. of that and then obviously the natural apple cider yeah, know, for, yeah. for making apples yeah. and, and making cider that had a big effect as well yeah. because you know you, you walked around that place and you saw all these different things and it was there it was available you mm. know if I wanted I could buy those hens mm. But then you also saw a plethora of ways of keeping them. Some were mm. free ranging, some were in arcs, some mm. were in indoor cages, some were. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. And so you got an idea. And again, the people there would chat to you yeah. about it. And and, I, and for me, that was a really big that was a really big thing. You know, mm. it being part of what we did. Um, you know, when we brought the children up, we wanted to, you know, use those kind of um, places to 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 let them learn about the connection with air food. Mm. And then that kind of led to that, really. That was that was a big thing for us, going out and seeing just getting inspired farms yeah. and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I learned loads from that. Mm. I copied my current chicken house plan yeah. from that. I went in. I went into Middle Farm yeah. with my camera my phone, <laughs> a load of and I took a load of photos of the chicken housing <laughs> because their chicken housing is seven hundred pounds, <laughs> and mine were not. Yeah, <laughs> mine was free. Well, no, two seventy for a box of screws. That's yeah. how much it cost. <laughs> Brilliant, um, but. Going back to that, opportunities will arise. Yeah, yeah. I'm a great believer in that. You know, if you're driving down the road or you're on Facebook Marketplace and someone's getting rid of an old mm. chicken house, yeah, it might need a bit of doing up. Mm. What's to stop you? Yeah. And I think there's a definitely an element of that. Opportunities come around all the time. And yeah. if you're a bit of a hoarder, yeah. um, like you, you and I, or you yeah. like recycling materials or yeah. seeing opportunities, yeah. I think that opportunities come around all the time. Yeah. Uh, so much so now that it's quite hard not to take them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the trouble, isn't it? You know, also, if if I see a baby cow on marketplace, but I've had it free to good owner. <laughs> oh dear. So for me, it was it's about I think it's about cooking from scratch. I think you mentioned it before, didn't you? Um, 
you know, you talked about, about needing to cook. Yeah, and, and for me, I grew up cooking. Grew up cooking. I grew up eating, I like eating yeah. food, you know. I'm not a skinny lad, that's for sure. And, and I, it's because I like eating food, I yeah. like eating good food. And so for me, a lot of it was about growing the stuff that I was going to eat. And then yeah, as I became a student, it was about, well, can I turn some of the things that I can find around me or I can grow into something that's going to get me drunk because yeah. that's even better. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, let's go from there. So I think if you're not at this point in time, if you're not cooking from scratch, and by that I do mean, you know, like from ingredients, not packets. Yeah. And I do then mean as well, for me, an extension of that is baking loaves of bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, um, and so I bake all our bread and freeze it and all that sort of stuff. Then that, that's another thing that you, you, know, you should be thinking about doing because that then leads to opportunities. You know, you've got, you want to make something, you want to, you know, you grow the vegetables to go in it. You know, the idea of having a, a meal that you've produced that's just vegetables from your That's like the Holy Grail, isn't it? It is. That's, that's the Holy Grail. That's, the, that's what we're all searching for. And, you know, I can't say I do it very often because I don't produce enough stuff and I certainly don't produce any protein, but, not animal protein anyway, but, um, yeah, eggs, eggs I suppose, don't they? But, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily be able to make a roast dinner out of yeah. what I can produce on my on my patch. Um, so from that point of view, it's, it's the holy grail. But I think people should be looking at doing that. And I think an extension of that, and so it's been a bit of a revelation for me in the last year. I remember having a chat with you a, a while back about making yoghurt. Mm. And I'm lactose intolerant, so for mm. me, yoghurt was like, well, what's the point? Mm. And then I looked into it, and it turns out that Actually, I can eat live yogurt, yeah, yeah. and the, the the lactobacillus in there, the probiotics in there, will mean that I can tolerate that. Yeah, I'd love to get into that. Um, and so, I actually spent twenty seven pounds on eBay on a yogurt maker, and it makes up to a liter and a half of yogurt. Yeah, and it great. is, it's just, it's been amazing because I make I make yogurt every seven to ten days now. I, I don't buy it anymore. Yeah. I very occasionally have to buy a small pot for a starter, and, and the rest of it just comes from. Well, know, I'm definitely going to do that. You need to do that. Definitely going to do. And that. the other thing I would suggest is that you know, and it's not it's not quite so environmentally friendly, but I do buy UHT milk. Yeah. Because it takes the faff of heating the milk up. One of the things you have to do when you make live yogurt is heat the milk. Yeah. And you have to get it to eighty something degrees to, to make sure you kill anything that's in there. Yeah. By buying UHT, you can cut that step out. Uh, so I use UHT milk. Use a little bit of mild yogurt as the starter, as the sort of seed to get it going. And you go. Most of the time I don't have a problem. And then you can use that to do the next lot. I do, yeah, lot. I do. I keep perpetuating. I did have a bit of a problem a few weeks ago where it started to re-ferment in the fridge. Okay. So I'll chuck that batch out and start, start it again. Started over, yeah. Um, okay. But it cost me 65p for a little tub of yoghurt, so you know, I'm not going to cry about that too much. That sounds great. So, that, well, yeah. that'll be up. So maybe by the next time we do the next podcast, I've not done my first lot of yoghurt. Yeah, well, you know, I think, it's, I think you should do it. It's I love yoghurt. Well, I've got my breakfast most days these days. Yeah. And of course, as someone who's lactose intolerant, that calcium... Yeah, well, I, we replaced mayonnaise with yogurt. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we use natural yogurt as as our mayonnaise and all of our kind of wraps and over meat and mm. with mint, mate, you know, and as and certainly as a basis for curry sauce. Mm. Can't be beat, mate. No. So that's the way to go. No. <laughs> okay, well, I think we'll leave it there today, today, mate. Thank you very much for your time and coming and having a chat about uh, all things. Urban homesteading and homesteading in a small space, self-reliance yeah. and all that sort of stuff, self-sufficiency. Well, so much thought we could go on for the <laughs> Frankly, we frankly, we could. But we know we have to break it up a bit, haven't <laughs> we? People have like, got to go to work and stuff. I like mate. the sound of our own voices, but perhaps other people not so much, eh? Um, so I suppose we'll try and come back in a couple of weeks, maybe, if we can. Yep. Have a chat about perhaps some principles of homesteading and principles of being self-sufficient. Maybe I think that would be really good is to, you know, if you thought about maybe two or three of the most important things... Mm. And then I did the same, and we mm. brought that together. Yeah. That might be quite interesting for people because yeah. you know it, it would give them maybe still a place to start from, yeah. 
but also they, they, they might have a bit more insight about because we're mm. we're both into it, but we're both very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do different, do it different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the principles that underpin it perhaps would be more people can interpret them in their own ways, yeah, maybe, definitely. and then and then they apply that to their own situations because everybody's situation would be unique, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay, right. Well, thank you very much, uh, very much, everyone, for for listening to the uh, Urban Homestead in UK podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to to have a listen and if you've enjoyed or if you've got any feedback for us probably the best place to find us is on Instagram yeah, uh, Urban Homestead in UK on Instagram um, and just give us a shout give us a, a like on there give us a follow just, just you know give us a bit of feedback on how we're doing and any ideas you might have anything that might be annoying you or things we, you think we might be able to do to improve we're all always open for a bit of feedback so thank you very much for listening and uh, look forward to hearing from people cheers bye now